Hey babes, Topher here. Uh, just to let you know up top, we had a little trouble with one of the microphones that we did not hear until I started editing this episode. I am very sorry for that. Usually we try to be as strong as possible on, on our tech side, but we missed that. I uh, hope it's not too awful. It still is a very great episode. We loved this movie. We loved recording this. So thank you so much. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Talk to you soon. Bye. Well, we're finally recording after Nicole's tried to attack everything in the studio. With a chainsaw. <laughs> she got a little too hype on this movie. It's a very quiet chainsaw, that's why you can't hear it. It just goes... Bzz, bzz. It's like my phone. <laughs> hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched The Texas Chainsaw Massacre? You mean the 1974 Toby Hooper horror classic about a bunch of kids breaking into an artist household and them getting their just desserts? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a read on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you you could you could say that, I suppose. I think it's accurate. I guess you can say whatever you want. You're this is this is uh 50% your podcast. It's accurate. So, I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're here to talk about The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the movie from 1974, not the remakes, not the sequels, none of that. We're talking about the original. Um, we watched it on Shutter last night. Um, we, I have no idea what cut it was. I think it was the remastered. It was um, definitely, yeah, it was definitely a remaster. And I believe it is the, uh, one of the less edited cuts. Yeah, it was great. So we're doing the normal format here today. In case you are brand new to the game, that means Topher's going to take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then I'll take us through the plot. And then we'll dive deeper into an analysis of this film so there's so much to analyze in this movie there is it's it's really great i mean it it really did really did a lot for horror in general so um very excited to talk about it so without further ado tover who made this thing well someone who inspired john carpenter correct so yeah as we said up top this was written and directed by the one and only toby hooper uh co-wrote it with kim hankel his uh frequent writing partner Mm mm-hmm um, Kim Hankel did the story and screenplay. Toby also wrote on the screenplay. They were just two kids in Texas doing this shit. Oh, they're from Texas? Yeah, he's, uh, he's from Austin originally. Got it. As is basically everybody in this movie. This is a very, like, yeah, he's definitely, this is, uh, like, Linklater follows in this uh, sort of idea, or this, like, mode of being from Texas and working with Texas actors, just like Mike Judge, you know? Yeah, yeah, King um, of the Hill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Barry. Barry, yeah. Yeah, I guess, well, you know, haters from Oklahoma, that's close enough. It is pretty close. Yeah. Except I think if any Oklahoman or Texan heard us say that, they'd fight us. Well, they're far away over there in their own little things that are lar- as large as countries, and I'm here in Manhattan. They can leave me An alone. An island. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to swim. There's no water over there. Oh, God. But yeah, anyway, uh, Hankel and uh, Hooper work together a good amount. Mm-hmm. And as I said, all of the actors, basically, you would never have heard of them before or after. Yeah, uh, Gunnar Hansen and John Larroquette are the only people who had careers after this. Right. Not th- so others did for sure, but everybody stayed pretty small time, and that was on purpose. Hooper didn't want big name actors. Yeah. Uh, he also shot this for. I, I usually do this at the end, but the budget was so low; it was one hundred and forty grand. Yeah, and I mean, it definitely has that feel to it, not in a bad way, like in a cool indie way. Yeah, it very has DIY. A low, yeah, low budget feel to it, and when I was kind of reading up on it. They said that the the filming of this was like grueling, grueling. yeah, yeah, like like really really rough on um, the actors, especially the final like I don't know um, five minutes of the movie, maybe mm-hmm. ten. Um, they said you know that that whole kind of like chase and torture scene essentially took like twenty six hours, Yeesh. and it was just like rough. I can believe it, but oh my god, yeah. poor Marilyn Burns. I know, I know, yeah. Speaking of. Yeah. We have Marilyn Burns as Sally, our spoiler alert, final girl. Yeah, <laughs> in case you haven't seen this movie. Uh, Alan Danziger as Jerry, our John Denver type who has about two minutes of screen time. And then he... <laughs> Paul A. Partain dies. as uh, Franklin, mm-hmm. our, uh, that's Sally's brother who's uh, in a wheelchair. Yep. Or uses a wheelchair. Uh, William Vale as Kirk, 
mm-hmm. our stereotypical jock douchebag. Mm-hmm. Terry McMahon as Pam, and that's our fifth member of the crew. Yeah. Uh-oh, five people. Well, <laughs> we've got a number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Edwin Neal plays the hitchhiker. That's our uh, really weird dude who stabs his hands. Who looks like James Franco. He looks exactly like James Franco. Yep. Who? Like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I said when he first came on came on camera. I was like, James Franco? <laughs> Rest in piss. You're not dead yet, but whatever. Um, Gunnar Hansen as our eponymous, well, not eponymous, that's not what that word means, but he plays Leatherface. Right. The One of the most famous movie villains of all time. True. Um, frequently makes top tens. Even if you haven't seen um, this movie or even have heard the word Texas Chain or the phrase Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you've heard the phrase Leatherface. Yeah. Like it's, or it, at least know his image. Yeah. Like, I think I remember hearing the word Leatherface in, like, third grade. Yeah. It's just a thing that floats around for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, John Dugan as Grandfather. Grandfather. The creepiest part of this movie. Yep. And then uh, Jim Sidow as Old Man or Cook. That's uh, the dad. The one that sounds like Gordon Cole. Yes, he sounds like exactly. Yelling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then our last little... Uh, Last little credit here that matters, just because he's the most famous person in this movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. is John Larroquette, who does the narration at, up top. Right. He reads your, uh, you called it the Star Wars crawl. It is the Star Wars crawl. <laughs> um, yeah. So he, uh, John Larroquette, very successful TV actor mm-hmm. and several films as well, but most known for Night Court. Yeah. 193 episodes of yeah. Night Court. And it still somehow ended on a, it like got canceled. <laughs> yeah. The music was a cooperation between Wayne Bell and Toby Hooper. Nice. Uh, cinematography done by the amazing Daniel Pearl. Best big shout out for that. Seriously, the cinematography is probably my favorite part of this movie. For sure. One of the reasons I love Daniel Pearl, mm-hmm. do you know how he got his start? How? He shot an 8 millimeter skateboarding video when he was 13. That's how he... <laughs> that was his start. Awesome. Yeah, he's a, he's a Bronx kid. Um... But he's done some really, really cool stuff. Uh, I mean, he's done several of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Mm-hmm. But um, you might remember a little uh, Christmas spectacular done by Miss Mariah Carey. I mean, yeah. He shot that. Oh, funny. The most recent one. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah I remember we watched um, that. Yeah. He also shot we a movie we've already covered. And we talked about him before. Mom and Dad. Oh, so good. Again, great cinematography in that movie. This guy yeah. is just, I mean, he's been working forever, but he's done he's so many different music videos. He's worked with Mariah Carey a bunch. He shot some of the Friday the 13th. He shot for Bon Jovi. Like, <laughs> Sick. You could just go in on his, uh, on his complete and total uh, filmography, but that would be an episode just reading those out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, fun story. I almost got to meet him when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I was just not in the right place at the right time. I was at the right place. I was just not the right time. Uh, it takes both, babe. I know. <laughs> um, but he shot the uh, uh, music video for Amy Grant and uh, Vince Gill's duet, House of Love. Oh. Yeah. So I actually was at that set one day, <laughs> but I was not there at the right time because that was four. Right. And I needed to go home because that was a whiny baby. Because you were four. Yeah, it was a whiny baby. Yeah. I think all four-year-olds need to go home. <laughs> should never leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> not really. <laughs> you don't start making memories until... Well, I think you make memories yeah. at four, but Yeah, still. definitely. But yeah, it's he's mostly just worked in music videos, and I don't mean that in terms of like, oh, well, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, it, I mean, like, that's his, sort of his exclusive yeah. uh, milieu. Mm-hmm. He also, one last thing, shot one of our favorite favorite music videos of all time. Which is? Mm. Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. Oh, God. We love that music video. Don't even play. I don't even remember that music video. Bullshit. He's running through. There's the Fin of the Opera motif. Oh, that's that one? Yeah. See, see I... I I don't know. I I've, I think I've pushed that out There's of like my brain. There's like 10 billion candles. That could be any Meatloaf song. That's why I get them all confused. That's you know? true. Like he like it would always you know it's it's always chaotic. So we also always watch it when we're hungover. So fair. <laughs> so the editing was done by Sally Richardson and Larry Carroll. Makeup department definitely got to get a shout out here. 
uh, Dorothy Pearl was our main makeup artist. There was one person who worked on only one character, and that was W.E. Barnes for grandfather's makeup. Grandfather's pretty creepy. They had to have one person just dedicated to him. I mean, I believe it because it's his whole face. Seriously. And hands. Yeah. It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... There's a lot of repeats in here, too, because, again, indie production, very small budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Toby Hooper's on, like, every single portion of this. Wayne Bell's in several different portions of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely, you know, how we do Yeah, when we have to do these uh, small, small things. But, yeah, even despite that very small budget, which, which to translate to today's dollars, like $2,021, is about 700 k Yeah. And for a movie this ambitious... That's, again, not much for what had to be done. For sure. Especially when you're doing all practical, because CGI hadn't really been invented yet. This movie would be so weird with CGI. Well, all the rest of them were, so. It'd be so weird. Mm Mm-hmm. I would hate it. It just wouldn't work. It it would look really out of place. I agree. It's a really tight runtime here, too. Uh, About about an hour and 20. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, but despite all of that... (laughs) Because everyone dies, like, really quickly. Yeah. It's like the meat meat of the movie is literally the final girl scene. Yeah, there's 20 minutes of it. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, the final 20 minutes are, like, that chase scene and the torture scene of the final girl. But, like, before that, you're just like, damn, everyone's already dead. Like, that happened within (laughs) five minutes. Yeah, it's a real bam, bam, bam right there in the second act. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so the box office, though, 31 million dollars shit yeah i i adore this movie it's one of my favorite ones to show people Mm -hmm. just because it is i mean pretty bloodless for for the title it is bloodless uh or fairly bloodless i i mean i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that it's easy on the stomach to watch by any means no but if you compare it to, like, if you tell someone that you're watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I literally am imagining someone just in, like, spinning around with a chainsaw and bodies around them just, like, yeah, you imagine gushing blood. the lawnmower you know? scene from Dead Alive. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Or any of Sam Raimi. Like, we just talked about Satan's Slave. Yeah. Um, and I think this achieves a lot of the same things that that does, um, which yeah. this was definitely an influence on that. And every other horror movie that came after it. There's no one who doesn't cite Toby Hooper as a, as a influence. But there's, yeah. a, there's a fun reason why he worked so hard to keep the gore low. Because he initially... Because the, the ratings, right? Yeah. So this is back before there was a PG-13 rate. Yes. He so, was trying to get PG. Yeah. Yeah. And he kept... I mean, there's what? In terms of like actual gore scenes, there's in the van with the hand. Yep. There's the meat hook. Mm-hmm. And there's the one chainsaw murder. Yep. And the... Them trying to get Grandpa to kill uh, Sally. Yeah. That's it. Which, I mean, for an hour and 20 minutes, that still is kind of a lot. But but they definitely, you can tell that they were trying to be conservative. Yeah. You know? And so it's all done atmospherically. Mm-hmm. And even just with that, though, they gave him an X rating on the initial cut. Wow. Yeah, which is what we watched. Um, that was the director's cut, basically. Right. And so... Um, even with so after he made that they're like okay R and he's like god damn it I wanted kids to see this <laughs> oh my god yeah I mean the ratings that's 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 really difficult I mean I think today if it came out it would still probably be rated R yeah I think so I don't think you were ever gonna get a PG thirteen with the premise of this movie I think someone reads the synopsis and they're like rated R yeah like they don't Minimum. even have to see it yeah yeah but anyway uh, Toby Hooper and Kim Hankel started the vortex production company mm-hmm. vortex inc to make this movie yeah um they were super excited about the concept they just went in and wrote the shit out of this thing mm-hmm. uh, and i think the writing yeah is fantastic here yeah and then yeah uh distribution was done uh, by bryanson distributing company nice yeah that's all i got for now all right so moving on to plot just like topher said we've got sally we've got franklin jerry kirk and pam they're visiting the grave of Sally and Franklin's grandfather because there were reports of like vandalism and grave robbing, you know, all that shit. Very Ed Gain, but we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decide to go visit like the old house of the grandfather. It's um, along the way they pick up this hitchhiker, James Franco, (laughs) the one that I think looks like James Franco. It's not James Franco, but he like, you know, he starts talking about his family who worked at, you know, the slaughterhouse. And he it's this really tense scene of like 
you know, I mean, when you pick up a hitchhiker, who the fuck knows? Like, I mean, it, it's stranger danger. Um, so it's already tense, but then he starts acting pretty erratically. He's, you know, he's got... He, he grabs Franklin's, like, knife and kind of cuts his hand, like... Not kind of, goes in. Well, goes in, yeah. He <laughs> he definitely he definitely goes in, and he's, like, kind of laughing about it. Like, he feels no pain. So everyone's, you know, screaming and freaking out about that, and then he cuts Franklin's forearm, and it's just... It's a whole mess. It's a whole... It's a whole mess of a situation. So they eventually get him out of the van and keep going along their way. Um, he t- Oh, he takes, like, a... A Polaroid picture of Franklin as well, and he he's asking for money. He burns the photo when they like say not to that they won't pay for the photo. It's like those it's like those weird those weird dudes who like try to hand you roses on on the street and then try to make you pay for them. Yeah, or guys handing out CDs. Yeah, exactly. And then they try to make you pay for them, and you're just like, yo, I I just had the human reflex of taking something that you handed to me. <laughs> like they definitely capitalize on that. Like but I'm still a baby. You put something towards me, I'm just gonna. I'm grab just gonna it. grab it. <laughs> um. So we're primates. We never lose that. <laughs> Yeah, we're like, oh, you handed me something. I'm just, you know, uh, let me take it from you. Yeah, it is funny, too. Like, Franklin's genuinely just being really nice to this guy. Everybody else is being all skeeved by him. Yeah, no, Franklin's, like, trying to have, like, a genuine conversation with him. He's like, so, you know, what does your family do? And this is when, like, the slaughterhouse comes up. And he's just, you know, he's he's he is gen- yeah. genuinely trying well, to Well, and there's a re- I think conversate. it's a really well-written thing here, too, with Franklin, where he, I, despite this movie's view on um mental health it's pretty decent on disability where like it like it it, franklin's a fully rounded character who yes his disability does affect him but it's not like he's a baby it's just that he's put in situations where it's uh even made even more uh disadvantageous right yeah i would agree with that but then you also have these moments of like well of course he can't he's not like running around outside and like hanging out in the swimming hole with all the other kids so what does he do? He reads and he listens to stories. Like he's a he's a bookish guy who still is kind of a country boy. Like he feels like the most well-rounded character in the movie. Yeah, I would agree with that because the the women in this movie are tied to men, and yeah. um, like they clearly have boyfriends and they're very sexualized in this movie. Like oh, neither yeah. of them are wearing bras. There are so many male gaze shots. Mm-hmm. There, you know, I would agree. I think Franklin is the most well-rounded character. Um, yeah, he's the one that we know the most about. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I laughed so hard when Sally comes out of the van. It's just nipples. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. Okay. Um, but anyway, so they they get the dude out of the van and they keep driving. They stop at a gas station because um, they're out of gas. Um, and the the guy who works or owns the gas station, whatever, he tells him like, we don't have any gas. Yeah. Um, so this is that great scene here with the guy who keeps getting up and walking to the van to wash it. And then every time oh, yeah. the old dude leaves, mm-hmm. he goes and sits back down. And every time he walks back over, he gets back up and starts washing it again. Yeah. It's like, it's this really nice little physical comedy bit just like that happens. It's in the foreground, but you wouldn't notice it if you hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Like I've seen this movie like over 10 times. So right. I know I've seen that bit. I just cause I picked this thing apart in my head so many times. Mm-hmm. And I always find that so funny. It's one of my favorite little bits that they throw in. Yeah. Without drawing attention to it. So they don't really have, have many choices. So they have to go to, they're kind of planning on staying at the, their old house, the, the old house, house. the yeah. granddad's old house. Yeah. Um, and they're like, I guess we'll come back when you guys get a fuel delivery. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what else we're supposed to do. But then, you know, Franklin is telling Kirk and Pam about a local swimming hole. And of course they want to go and they find like a, they find a house and Kirk is like trying, is still kind of like trying to find gas. He's yeah, trying, he you know, generator running. Yeah. He, he goes through the unlocked door. Pam is waiting outside. And then this is when we meet Leatherface. Yes. Um, he does not speak. Uh, he's wearing a mask made from human skin. Um, he kills Kirk with a hammer very, very abruptly. And such a great shot and such good Foley work. Oh, yeah. 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 Shout out to the Foley artists on this Ten film. out of ten. Yeah. yeah. There's such good Foley in this movie. So Pam comes looking after uh, looking for him after it's been you know uh, too long too long of an amount of time um, she she comes in and she trips into a room that's just like 
It's got like I, I think it's got like feathers on the floor. Oh, there it's, are yeah, bones fully. everywhere, like human bones hanging, like all of the there's animal a chicken, bones. There's a just chicken in, chilling. Like a live chicken just going buck 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 sitting in the cage suspended from the ceiling. And she stays she stays way too long down on the ground. I know she's busy like puking and being grossed out, but I'm like, girl, get up. Have get you ever up. like tried to get up on a on a floor full of feathers? No. Me either, but it sounds difficult. I think I think she could have done it. But anyway. It's it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> she's so she's eventually trying to get away, but Leatherface. Also, I call that room the studio. <sighs> Yikes! That's where he's, he's working on some pieces. I I suppose. I'm defending this artist narrative. I you know, I hope someone <laughs> out there enjoys that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the one who's listening to it next. So me, great, mission accomplished. High five. Little fist bump? Fine. Little fist bump. Hell yeah. So she finally um, attempts to flee uh, after me screaming for five minutes, bitch, get up. <laughs> like, get up. <laughs> My God. But, you know, it's too late. Leatherface catches her and just, like, picks her up, puts her on a meat hook. Like, That's it's so like good. it's a regular ass Tuesday. one of my favorite kills in all of horror. Yeah. So now she has to watch while he's basically just, like, sawing away with a chainsaw at Kirk. Like, he's, like, butchering him like like mm-hmm. he's um, the Friday meat. Um, so <laughs> then we've got Jerry. Jerry's our next victim um, who is, you know, it's like a domino effect. It's like Pam's looking for Kirk. Jerry's looking for Pam and Kirk. Like, you know, everyone's like, where did they go? And I'm like, they died. Um, So he sees the house. And this is the dumb shit. I was like, this is the dumbest character. He straight up sees the room like the with the red paint and 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 the shit hanging on the wall like the skulls and the bones hanging on the wall and he's like oh i wonder if my friends are in here and just like goes in there and i'm like this is the dumbest character sir is is your glasses prescription like really bad is it out of date because he just like barrels through in here and guess what happens guys he opens the fucking freezer and finds pam still alive Still alive. Whoa. He finds Pam still alive in the freezer, but before he can even like do anything, say anything, Leatherface kills him. So he loves that sledgehammer. So this is what I was saying about like within the first uh, like almost less than 30 minutes, like most of our characters are like dead. Yeah, dead, this, dead. Is the, this is the second act. Yeah. Yeah. Like dead, dead. Um, so who do we have left? We have Sally and Franklin, the siblings. And just like the domino effect, they're like, where are our friends? Let's go find them. <laughs> they find like the, the house and they're like, you know, calling out for their friends. And then Leatherface. Um, oh, they have they have this like big fight over like the flashlight and shit. Like they're yeah, they're well, they're cracking up. They're cracking up. They're they're like they're they don't have any gas. They're out like stranded. They don't have anywhere to go. Franklin's been freaking himself out too because he um, the hitchhiker left that big bloody mark on the side of the yes, van. He's that's like right. he's gonna find like he used that to mark us so he can come back and find us. Yeah, and he's having normal but anxiety normal yeah. reactions to everything that's going on. Sally's like, okay, well, do I leave you? Do I not leave you? There's no one here. What if something happens to you? You've already fallen once. Yeah. Today, mm-hmm. like he's got he's he's got bruises and cuts all over him, and yeah. the, he's been attacked by a wacky hitchhiker. Exactly. Yeah. So they're not doing well, but they're you know they're trying to find find their friends. But Leatherface comes out from you know the darkness of the woods and kills Franklin with the chainsaw. This is the chainsaw murder. Mm-hmm. So we've got our final girl, Sally. She's running towards the house. Um, Which is a big old flight through the, the woods first. Oh, yeah. This is the big chase scene. Um, it's very... It does everything that a chase scene should do where you've got kind of like the cat and mouse situation where like she's way far ahead and then all of a sudden he's up behind her. Yeah. She can't get through the brush because she can't see and he's just hacking through the brush with the chainsaw and like... But he's giant and can't get through it as easily. Yeah. It's a really nice... Ba- I like good, the balance here and it's, it's really well done. Scene. Yeah. It's probably one of my favorites I've ever seen just because mm-hmm. it is very like... Like... Because sometimes, sometimes I'm going to be honest, I zone out during chase scenes. They can get a little boring sometimes. Well, it's like if they go on for too long or if you're just like, this isn't how they're going to die. You always kind of know that. Like, yeah. Unless, especially with a final girl, if it's, you know, something like, 
something like Evil Dead and it's like the first 30 minutes in the movie, I'm like, oh, okay, they're going to be running through the woods and they're like going to fall and impale themselves or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're probably going to die. Yeah. Tucker and Dale, like, like all of that um, campiness. But with the final girl, I'm like, I'm always like, I know they're not going to die this way. Right. It's going to be like a big build up, a big climax. And they either and then they decide whether, you know, she dies or she lives. You know, like you never know. That's why I don't like watching movies where there's a clock visible. That's fair. Yeah, that is. It can remove that tension. right? That is a version of a spoiler. Yeah. Is like the the countdown of the clock. Um, But with this one, I think it was one of my favorite chase scenes that I've ever seen because I was truly so invested. My heart was racing. Mm -hmm. I. I was really, um, really stressed out for her. I, I thought I was not sure who was going to win here or how it was going to go down. Green Room did this really well, too. Yes, yes. Green Room has an amazing final chase scene. The pacing is really well in this chase scene, for um, lack of a better word. Yeah. No pun intended. But <laughs> um, anyway, after this uh, chase scene, she gets inside the house where everyone has died, believe it or not. Yeah. And... This is where she finds, like, the remains of the elderly couple upstairs. This is, like, yeah. where we find Grandpa and Grandma just, like, chilling in rocking chairs or, you know, wheelchairs, like, whatever, just rotting. And she yeets herself out of a window to to try to escape Leatherface. She, she yeets herself... all through the... <laughs> she yeets herself out of, the, out of the window, like, twice in this movie. Yeah, we get a double yeet. We get a double yeet. It doesn't always happen. But... She she runs towards the uh, gas station. He he's trying to calm her down once she gets to the gas, like the guy who owns it or whatever. Who we saw earlier. Um, yeah. Who we saw earlier. Um, and he's like, I can help you. And but then he he ties her up. He gags her and forces her into his truck. Not very helpful. Um, nope. So he drives back to the house. And the hitchhiker shows up, which this part made me laugh, where he's like, yeah, what'd you do to the door? What'd you do to the door? <laughs> Look at what your brother did to the door. I told you not to leave him alone. Yeah. So then that's when you realize, like, uh, I mean, you can speculate through this whole movie that they're all the same family because they all talk about their family, except yes. for obviously Leatherface, who is mute. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk, you, you hear about this family, this family, and you're like, okay. And then you realize, oh shit, everyone's it's all the same, family. All the same family. So it's one of the um, best third act twists I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty great because it just it, it doesn't reveal itself as a twist. It just happens, and you're like, yeah. yep, okay. You know, so it's good. It's, it's like really the cannibalism good. twist in this. Yes, because it starts with I. I was trying so hard not to reveal that to you when you were watching. This is your first time with this. It was. It was. And um, I was really glad I didn't say anything when he said, "We got some great barbecue." Right. Because that is a line that always sticks in my head and grosses me the fuck out. Oh my God. It's crazy that we're talking about this right now. And there's there's a meat cart right outside this apartment building that we are currently in. And it ju- I guess they just now started for the day because we can now smell the meat cart. Yeah, I watched him rolling it out when I was downstairs. <laughs> yep. So this is pretty, pretty timely. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, this was, this was my first time watching it. I, this was kind of one of my, like, horror film blind spots. Like, I just, I I never had, like, the opportunity or it just never came up. It's one for a lot of horror fans, too. Like, a lot of people just assume they've seen it. I know. I think, I think a lot of people fall, fall victim to this. And I, I did as well, where I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Texas Chainsaw, like, yeah, just lump it in with everything else. But I'm, I'm really glad that I, that I finally, you know, sat down and watched it. Um, because I, I mean, I loved it, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is why you shouldn't get so obsessed with only watching obscure stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, sometimes the classics are classics for a reason. Not Ex- always. Exactly. But sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that I finally watched this one. So, so yeah, there's the reveal that they're all, you know, in the same family. And of course he recognizes Sally and yeah. is like, Oh, like I thought you were in a hurry. I like love all that this. line, that line in that delivery. Thought you were in a hurry. And she's, you know, just screaming and just doesn't stop for 20 minutes. I felt yeah. so bad for your roommates. Yeah. Oh, and so now Leatherface um, has added a wig. I should, I feel like I should talk about that where, where in a lot of, it also could have just been the lighting is different. I can't remember if he adds the wig or if the lighting was different. I mean, it says, it says in the plot synopsis that Leatherface now dressed as a woman. Uh, serves dinner. Got it, got it. So, oh, right. Yeah, that is what happened. Because, yeah, he, like, does a whole little, like, he's got the apron. He's got the makeup on. There's even that's makeup right. on, yeah. That's yeah. right. See? So, yeah. Um, Leatherface and 
I guess we never have a name for the hitchhiker. No, they've all just it's, got different names. It's yeah. proprietor, hitchhiker, uh, so it's cook, and Leatherface. But you don't call him the cook when you do the synopsis because it's the reveal. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, the cook, yeah. Leatherface, and the hitchhiker. Yeah, and um, Grandpa. Yeah, so they bring Grandpa downstairs, and he... This, this part is actually disgusting. He sucks blood from a cut on Sally's finger and this yeah, is how we realize that in, yeah. he's alive. I'm just going, oh, I can't even... Uh, it's gross. Uh, it's gross. I hate that part. I love um, it, but it's horrifying because you think they're just going to put a dead body at the table and then he's like sucking on a finger and you're like, I am oh. not happy with Which this. Which is like never comfortable in a movie at all. Like, have Mm-mm. you ever seen like, you know, like one of those like sex scenes or whatever where they start by like I don't know like feeding each other and then they're like sucking on each other's fingers it's never cute to me so especially when it's like I pick my like, nose with that don't put it in your mouth oh my god <laughs> sorry I'll take that again I pick my butt with that don't put oh my god no 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 veto no um and so you don't add a rotting corpse to that and and that- the idea that you know they they cut this person's finger because they're all cannibals mm-hmm. and this you know quote unquote brings him to life or whatever yeah wakes him up wakes him up you know the the taste of blood it's so so amazing but so <laughs> bad like i don't this is this is the conflict that we feel with horror films we're like we're we're like oh man that's good writing but then we're just like ew i don't want to i don't want to see that um oh, but that i so do i know so then they all collectively decide that um, Grandpa, since he was, quote unquote, the best killer in the slaughterhouse, he should be the one to kill Sally. Did so, 500 cows in a day, the only, and it was only if they could have moved the chains faster, he could have done more. Right, exactly. So um, this is where we get the very SpongeBob moment of them trying to put the hammer in his hand. <laughs> Firmly grasp it. it. <laughs> you cannot convince me. That that was not the inspiration for that scene from SpongeBob, where he's like trying to put the um, the jellyfish net in Squidward, but Squidward is fully cast. He's yeah, he's in, in a full, full body, body cast, cast yeah. and he's just like firmly grasp it, and then he just like sticks and he's <laughs> it's like, just, oh, it's all this physical comedy that's terrifying. Yeah, it's my favorite thing about this movie is that it's funny mm-hmm. in a way that does not give you relief. We talked about this with Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. The comedy beats don't give you relief. It somehow fuels it in like a really weird way. There, There is no comedic relief in this, even though it is funny that they're having to like quite literally wrap their hand around his hand in the hammer and then they're and then lifting his arm. But then because they've let go of the hand, it drops the hammer. So like they're struggling and it, it is funny, but it also is like, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> so, um, so, so they're, they're all struggling and within this big collective struggle, Sally breaks free and yeets herself out a window. Like the second time she runs towards the road with like a f- full on broken leg. Like her face is bleeding. Definitely has, has blunt trauma to the head. Like all that. Yeah. Shit. Cause they do get one little hit in. Yeah. And I mean, even if it's like a tiny hit with a hammer, it's still a hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, also, head wounds, head wounds bleed like mad. Yes. Had a couple. Not fun. Oof. So we've got another chase scene here. It's Leatherface and the hitchhiker. But then the hitchhiker is brutally run over by a truck. That's Love the other it. That's the other really gory part is you actually see him get hit by this... Um, I don't uh, even, it's a cattle truck. Yeah, and so it's like it's multiple wheels going over this person's like body, and so it's it's pretty brutal. Um, so then, uh, Leatherface is attacking the truck with the chainsaw it, when like the driver stops and you know tries to get out, but he knocks Leatherface down with what like his pipe his pipe wrench, which causes the chainsaw to like cut his leg. Like get it, like that little it, tauntaun moment in Star Wars when when Han cuts open the tauntaun with the lightsaber. Yeah, it's it looks like that's what it always reminds me of because the way it like hits his leg and it kind of goes. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So the so Sally and the driver, um, they kind of do something smart. Part of me was like, just keep driving, like it's going to be faster. But they pretend like they get in. They, well, they do get in, but then they climb out the backside. Yeah, and while this he's is, busy doing art on the door. Yes, he's an abstract artist. I, yeah, I mean, I guess I should stop arguing with that. I mean, a lot of a lot. Uh, you have a lot of evidence. I have seen this movie a lot of times and um, worked on this theory from the first. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so they both they both escape, 
Yeah, the driver just, like, fucking keeps running down the road. He is not stopping for nothing. Yeah, and Sally gets in um, the back of a pickup truck that's passing, um, and the last shot that we see is Leatherface just flailing his chainsaw around in the air. He's angry, he's defeated, and then it's cut to credits. Yeah. And that's it. I absolutely love the final scene of this movie. I think it is one of the most, I think it's one of the prettiest shot things I've ever seen. Yeah. But also just the choreography that Gunnar Hansen did with this. Yeah. Because I, I, that wasn't, like, blocked. That was just him. Nice. Toby Hooper just said, Gunner, do you think? Because he's such a large man. Well, that's what I actually heard a lot about Toby Hooper. There there was kind of this cute um, interview with, I think it was Gunner. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, yeah, after, after we filmed it, I saw him, you know, like, at a party or whatever. And he kind of, like, avoided me. And later he told me that because the filming process was so grueling, he thought that everyone hated him. And Gunner was like, no, the contrary. Like, I, I, he was like, he gave us space as actors to create these characters. Right. He was like, he would tell me, he would set the scene, he would set the blocking and everything and, you know, um, do all of that. And he would tell me what Leatherface was feeling and, like, you know, the intention, but then he would just let me go. Yeah. Like, so... So a lot of this was what we've seen was a wonderful collaboration between Toby Hooper and the actors. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've read a few interviews with Gunnar Hansen and, and watched a few. Um, he kind of stepped back from acting after mm-hmm. this. Uh, he went to writing and directing mm-hmm. um, a lot of, you know, low budget stuff and whatever. But he um, he wrote a few novels. He wrote some really cool stuff. Um, it's, a sh- it's a shame they both um, uh, they're both passed away now mm-hmm. uh, i think Gunnar hansen in 2015 and uh toby hooper in 2017 right but no i always have loved Gunnar hansen i find him there's something about his performance in this that really just makes me wish he had done more yeah i've got it just it seems like he's got some serious talent mm-hmm. and um i think probably because of this it's kind yeah. of stepped away from it yeah you yeah. know and everybody's decisions are their own and you know he he stayed you know in the creative world i just would have loved to see more acting performances from him that weren't leatherface he basically just played leatherface or himself yeah agreed but yeah i just i always find leatherface to be a very sympathetic character yeah he's one of the few villains i actually think is genuinely sympathetic mm-hmm. um clearly not well mentally yeah. speaking um and clearly abused yes and uh I hate this movie's view on mental health. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's bad. Pretty, pretty bad. But <laughs> I like Gunnar Hansen's portrayal of Leatherface. It's it's weird to call someone who commits four murders and uh, at minimum of four murders yeah. <laughs> that we see. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and some brutalizing of a, of a young woman, innocent. But I, that's the word that comes to mind. Yeah, and I, I don't mean, like that view of my own. Like that's that's not how we should view disabled people. Uh, that's not okay. But that's the word that comes to mind. Yeah, like I you mean, almost get this gentle giant view of him, even though he's very much not. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's because they modeled um, from the Goonies. Oh, sloth. Yeah, sloth after him. yeah, sloth is modeled on on Leatherface. But um, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a tough thing when you. I kind of understand why 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 you're a little sympathetic towards Leatherface and the whole gentle giant sort of thing because if you if it's a family who are all cannibals and they've raised their children to be such yeah and you, you know like cannibals it's, and murderers yeah 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 it's it's kind of almost this thing where it's like if this is all that they've ever known and they live in the middle of nowhere and you know like. And even more that, like, Leatherface is clearly further disabled than the rest. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, this is a a kid who would not be able to take care of themselves more or less on their own, or maybe can in certain ways, but doesn't have a full capacity for other things. Right. And it's just, there's a lot of, who knows what the the actual diagnosis is here. Yeah, yeah. they really don't give us anything as far as as that goes. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that... I think that it is easier to be sympathetic towards Leatherface than other. Again, just wants to make villains. his art. These beautiful statues. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I, that's the opening shot, right? Is like it's this horrifying, gory statue on a grave. Yeah. But you can see that as an art piece, right? Like I'm not. Yeah. It's a joke. 
like read on the movie, but it is defensible. And right. it's one that I kind of have like gotten really attached to. And now I, <laughs> I've fucked my own self over by saying like, no, I actually really like Leatherface. I think he, I think I could fix him. <laughs> the, the pitfall, we all fall into at least once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, it, it's loosely based on Ed Gaines. Like yeah. we briefly mentioned in the beginning, um, who was someone who vandalized and did some grave robbing himself and yeah. killed a few people and did these types of I guess you could call them art installations um, and that's how that's how he got caught he eventually just a sh- uh, in case you are not well versed in the true crime um, universe he he basically um, was not on trial at first because they didn't think that he was able to be like yeah. he was he was not mentally able to be tried right um so he went to a mental institution and when they thought that he was stable enough to be on trial they put him on trial um but then he kind of still pled insanity and he ended up dying at the age of 77 in a uh, mental hospital mm-hmm. um, due to, like, respiratory issues. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so so this is, like, loosely based on um, Ed Gaines. And he uh, and they used that. Like, a lot of people thought that this was, like, a storybook, like, like based on a true story, like, beat after beat. When yeah. it's, it's not. It was more of, like, a marketing well, and it was uh, it was Toby Hooper's middle finger to the world right. and to the government because uh, he, he talked to him, he's like, well, I'm lying about this, but the government lies to me about all kinds of shit. Watergate, Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Fuck he y'all. was really into Watergate and Vietnam. Like yeah. he even said at some point that it that this movie was a little bit of an allegory. For and I think that's more yeah that, that's that, I've seen that quote of yeah. you thrown around a lot and that clarification of like I mean it's like it's about that in that I'm lying to the <laughs> consumer but they lie to us yeah. so fuck them yeah exactly um, the other uh, serial killer was uh, Elmer Wayne Henley so that's who the hitchhikers based on because he was a young guy who would recruit uh, or recruit. Uh, he he would like basically lure victims for this older sexual predator and be young men. Oh sure, okay, um, yeah. And so and then like Elmer Wayne Henley ended up being like, well, I did all of it, and I'm just gonna stand up, and that's gonna be me. I, right. I'll take it. I right. did it, so I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and that was that was Kim Hangel's contribution. So right. Hooper brings in Ed Gain, and Hangel brings in Henley. And that's kind of the combination of that family. Yeah. Yeah. With the with the cook being the older man, the older sexual predator. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Elmer Wayne Henley being the hitchhiker and Ed Gain being Leatherface. Yeah. I and mean, I don't know who Grandpa is. Alfred Hitchcock? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but let me let me tell you, though, all of it, all of it came together to really fucking work. And I think that I think that this movie is so such a beautiful example of visual storytelling because we don't we don't get a lot of exposition we get just enough yeah we don't get a lot of i don't i mean again this movie is very short compared to a lot of other movies it's Mm -hmm. only an hour it's not even an hour and a half and but we get everything that we need we get the dread we get the just complete you feel like you're in a nightmare and I've said this before that the some of the best horror films are the ones where you feel like you've had this nightmare before or it feels familiar to you in like a really creepy, sinister way. Totally. Um, and that's what I felt when I was watching this where I was like, oh my God, I've had a nightmare like this, like where I'm running and I can't get away from someone or, you know, like I'm Suddenly in the middle the of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, and I keep saying, this is why I live in New York. People think that New York is so dangerous. New York has such a high crime rate. New York is this. New York is that. And I'm like, at least when I'm walking down the street, there are other people. (laughs) I am more afraid of nowhere Wisconsin where Ed Gain happened. Mm -hmm. Nowhere Texas where, you know, if this was a true story, (laughs) it would have happened. Like, I'm way more afraid of yelling and nobody hearing me. At least when you scream in New York, someone's going to hear you. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. They will hear you. <laughs> you know, they won't do anything unless you scream fire because we're, it, that would involve them. 
but at least they'd hear you. <laughs> Someone would know. Someone would know that you were in trouble. <laughs> if you are in the middle of nowhere, no one's going to know. You are screaming and no one can hear you. That's the scariest thing to me. And I yeah. think that that's why this felt like one of my nightmares. I mean, so speaking of uh, screaming where no one can hear you, mm-hmm. Ridley Scott and Dan O'Bannon both heavily credit this movie as the main inspiration for Alien. Which is really cool because I don't think abstractly you would immediately make that connection, but knowing it makes those movies even cooler. Yeah. Because they weren't trying to copy this movie. They weren't trying to do anything like that, but the isolation is definitely there. Yeah, so we let's just dive into that. Let's just cite all of the fucking tropes this movie started. Yeah. It did not technically start the Cabin in the Woods trope. We do know that. We discussed that in our Evil Dead um, episode. But it is the one that actually takes place almost entirely around, you know, a cabin in the woods type, right? A remote house in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. um, where there is some sort of evil presence. Yes. Right? Yes. So that is, this is the first full usage of that. Evil Dead is credited with being the first full location of that. Yeah. Like the proper, like, this is the genre film now Mm -hmm. or subgenre film or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so we've got that. So we've got Cabin in the Woods. We've got Slasher. Now, again, not proper Slasher. It's not... Like, Halloween is the first full Slasher, right? Yeah. And really, even Psycho is the first Slasher. Yeah. But, well, we give Halloween credit for being the one that popularized and made it its own subgenre. Like, yeah, we had it a was name the for reason, it because of Halloween. We yeah. A, yeah. It was the reason why we got Slasher after Slasher during that decade. Yes. Uh, it's one of our first final girls. Yeah. Uh, and again, Psycho goes. Psycho also kicked off a lot of these tropes. But again, we didn't get, like, these didn't solidify until much later than that. This is 14 years after Psycho. And yes. then Halloween's three years after this. Yes. Uh, we also have, you know, for, like one of the first times we ever have a power tool used as a weapon, right? Yeah. Um, which, or like a major, like, mm-hmm. a, a, a gardening house construction tool being used, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. Michael Myers big old kitchen knife yeah although he uses a couple of others but that becomes his iconic one yeah uh, the machete for uh freddy not freddy krueger uh jason mm-hmm. Voorhees. um freddy krueger is just like it's the send-up of all of this because wes craven can't help himself right he has to just make jokes about yeah. everything while still making it spooky mm-hmm. he's another one who's very good at that but then we look at like tone yeah. Um, that inspires all of Sam Raimi. Yeah. Sam Raimi is really just like ripping, he's spent his, spent his entire career ripping off Toby Hooper, and I mean that as a compliment to both of them. Yeah. Um, Raimi just said, what if I made it camp on purpose? Yeah, you totally, know? totally. And I mean, that's, there's no ish, there's no problem with that. I think that, I think that once someone is onto something, you, you know, you can expand on it and put your own flavor on it, and that's totally fine. Yeah, you I know, mean, look at John Carpenter taking a lot of shot styling from Toby Hooper. Yeah, right. We look at the kinds of shots he's running. Although Toby's way more experimental in his shots. Right. Like the, that's one of my favorite things about this. We'll get to that in a second. But John Carpenter definitely looks at looks at this movie, and they worked with the same guy too. Dan O'Bannon was a friend of both his Ridley Scotts and Toby Hooper's. Right. Um, they all work, wrote and worked together, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, over the years yeah. on several different projects. Um, so there's all of that together too. Like you have this little like nice little indie club. Yeah, Ridley goes mainstream pretty pretty quickly, but like yeah, I get what you're saying. Ramy Carpenter, Craven, yeah. uh, uh, Dana Bannon, and uh, um, Toby Hooper all pretty stayed stayed pretty indie. Yeah. Um, Throughout their career. For sure. You know, moments outside of, but generally not, right? Sure, yeah. So yeah, I love this. Like this sort of like vibe of like, okay, so we're all kind of working in the same area. So we're all kind of stealing from each other or borrowing from each other and elaborating on this sort of thing you do. Yeah. And each of them has their own distinct style. And I love that. Totally. This one is 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 crazy because I can't even imagine watching this movie with like on like a big, big screen, like in a theater it's because so fun. Well, because it feels like you're in the movie the way that the camera work is done, and that's yeah. just the beauty of the cinematography and the style that was chosen for this movie, or mm-hmm. even if it wasn't chosen, whatever, you know, organically happened was just like amazing because you 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 get again, you get lost in it thinking that it feels like your own nightmare as opposed to like, oh, I'm yeah. watching a movie. You so, know? fun technical fact as to why that happened. Mm-hmm. So, they shot on 16 millimeter. Yeah. But the film that they used uh, was one, it's crazy expensive. That's part of why they had to d- 
do those crazy shoots. Yes. It wasn't just because of the low budgets, because they used up so much of the budget on film equipment. Oof. So they used, um, it's, it was called an Eclair NPR. It's, uh, if you're a film, like a video film buff, you'll know what it is, but it, it, it's an old camera that was really fucking cool in yeah. the day. Um, and it's, yeah, 16 millimeter. And it, so it used a fine grain, low speed film uh, that takes about four times more light okay. to shoot. Okay. So think about just a few years before this was Sergio Leone doing um, day as night shots, mm. right? Like we've talked about that before. Yes. Uh, shooting at day with a filter. Yes. Or like a uh, like a gobo or something like that over the. So over you the don't screen. have to work your film schedule around like anything else. You well, can and so just you can shoot film. nighttime and have it look clear. Yes. That yeah, because you can use a higher speed film. Yeah. When you use the low speed film, uh, it's really hard to shoot during the day. So he shoots most of this during the night. Mm-hmm. And that makes the day shots look like crazy bright and right, really right, right, hazy. Right. Yeah. So it's a bright hazy at the same time. Whereas the nighttime shots are uh, and the low light shots are all really high definition. That's cool. For It's it's a like a way to work around technology at the time, right? Yeah. When you don't, way before digital. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you were talking about like seeing it in big format. Fucking dope. It's so cool. I can't wait I to believe take you. It. I want to take you to see it in big format so bad because that scene with like the headlights on the car coming right at you when he, when he, um, the cook has yes. uh, Sally in the truck. Yes. And it's like they really did run it that close. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird pan shots. Uh, there's so many just like amazing, amazing pieces here. Refusing to move the camera mm-hmm. and just having it or like not doing a zoom out or a, a steady cam or a dolly out on Leatherface during his dance, but using cuts with the camera at different distances. But it's all the same shot. Yeah, they do a really great job of making you feel like you're immersed in this movie, but also disorienting you at the same time. Yeah, it's 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 a really really awesome way to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, what's more scary than being thrown into the movie that you're watching? Yeah, you I know, mean, we talked about that chase scene. It's so dark, but you can see really well. Oh yeah, you know exactly and, what's happening. Yeah, but you're also ju- just because you can see well doesn't mean you're not as lost as Sally. Like totally. we're about, it's like, why the fuck you run back to the house? Because you take one turn in the woods at night and you are you immediately are lost. done. You're done. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. You have no idea where you are anymore. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've touched on the, the mental health. Uh, we should say this movie has a terrible, terrible view of mental health. 100%. Um, terrible. They're described as cannibalistic psychopaths in almost every single... I'm using quotations around that. Just you can't see my hands. Um, but that's what they're described as in almost every single synopsis of this. I really fucking hate that. Uh, psychopathy... Is a highly misunderstood. Um, yes, and we can definitely critique the feminism of this too. Uh, it's non-existent. Oh my God. Yeah. Non-existent. Non-existent. Uh, just because Sally survives does not make it a feminist text. No. Uh, oh my God, no. And yes, of course, women are allowed to be sexy, but we don't have to shoot literally up their butts. Literally every single time Pam is on screen, it's up her butt. Yeah, and I'm not complaining because it's a nice butt, but also like. Yeah. Um, one of the things I love most about this movie is that it is truly a horror art house film that's very accessible. Yeah, I agree with that. Right? Like it is, it's super arty in the way that it's shot. Mm-hmm. It's super arty in its structure. Like it feels like a like a weird art. Like you would see this and be like, this is the movie that you, you would be pretentious telling your friends about. Yeah. If it wasn't a horror film. And yet the storyline is 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 accessible. Yeah, it has a narrative. It yeah. is definitely narrative storytelling. It's not, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's not Linklater and some of his stuff where there is like basically no narrative or, um, oh, who's that guy I don't really like that much, but he's really pretty. <clears throat> not him. His, his movies are really pretty. He did Tree of Life and um, The New World. Oh, um, I don't, I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm blanking. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. Y'all can just yell at me over the microphone. I'll hear it, I'm sure. Um, anyway, I, I, his movies are gorgeous and he's very, very famous and I can't believe I can't remember his fucking name right now, but like I went and saw the new world on a date in high school mm-hmm. and my, and I, I was not the one who picked it, believe it or not. My date picked it, but she was like, that sucked. And I was like, that was kind of really, really good. It was racist to have Colin Farrell playing an indigenous American. Oh, if boy. I remember, maybe he wasn't playing an indigenous American. I don't remember, but the movie's essentially, uh, no dialogue. For like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff that like that would be the that would be that movie is pretentious to say that's your favorite movie. Fuck you. No, it's not. 
Right. I think making this one into like, like the narrative is definitely accessible, like making it into a slasher. Those are usually pretty straightforward films, but the way that this is shot and kind of the structure is, is definitely a little bit art filmy. Yeah. Cause like we talk about, we cover slashers a lot in the podcast and every single time you say it's a slasher. So it's pretty much just kill, 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 done. Yeah. Uh, and this is not kill. This kill, one's kill, a little kill, more nuanced yeah. than that. Yeah. Especially cause it's a, full breakdown the third act is so weird it does not feel right Mm -hmm. but that works in its favor for once you know yes agreed um where you do have yeah like i said the third act twist is not even just the narratively the third act twist is that the all these people are related and they're cannibals yes the structural twist is that this movie is not what you thought it was gonna be you think it's done because the narrative is over at the end of the second act the narrative ends yep and then it, it and then it just, just continues. It's just Sally screaming for twenty minutes while Oof, there's just yeah. oh god them howling the dinner scene. Oh yeah, that's it's well. But it's so cool. Where I'm no, like, is, this is, is this is fascinating. I don't want to be, like I, I. This is why I felt bad watching it with your roommates around last night because I was like, they didn't sign up for this. This is right. a choice that you and I made. Right. They did not make this. So I felt bad like uh, it, when I watched it in college. We watched it in the dorm room mm-hmm. or like in the like uh, I was still living in the dorms and there was um like the, the common room or whatever. Oh, God. And we were watching it. I in do there. not miss that. <laughs> no, I do. and I don't. Anyway. Uh-uh. So we were in the common room watching it. And it was like three or four of us who had put it on. But everybody else coming through during the third act is like, what the fuck are you watching? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, bro. Get, on, get into it. Yeah. Calm down. It's an art film. <laughs> I was living in the art house. So... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i mean overall like this movie like is a classic for a reason i love it yeah um it's funny people ask me my top five horror films and there's one or there's really just one obscure one on there but this and the thing are like my one and two yeah this um, i mean this one is just so well done i mean it's it it's almost like i'm glad that it's as popular as it is but i'm also kind of like i feel like i was late to the game because of how popular it was i I didn't take it seriously um because of all the jokes about it but Mm -hmm. i i'm glad i finally came around to it and watched it because i would recommend 10 out of 10 yeah it it is absolutely something that it's not it we've talked about like horror primer movies right yeah this is not one of them. No, this is this is um weirdly even though it invented all of these tropes that we now know or like popularized all these tropes that well, we I now know. Well, I think this is like more fun to go back to and be like, "Oh." Yeah. Know, be like, it's That's... it's like spot the thing. It's Leo yeah. Di- it's Leo DiCaprio in uh um Once Upon a Time in Hollywood pointing to himself on screen, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah. It's that moment where you're yeah. like, oh, oh, that's a thing. That's like we cool. talked about that with Sam Raimi, but this is even more so that. Yeah. Um, and whenever we cover the hills have eyes, we'll have even more of those. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a this is a high recommend for anybody who has not seen it and does love horror. Yeah. Uh, and actually, even there's it's funny. I just I just said it's not like a horror primer, but our friend and the writer and creator of our theme song. Seth oh yeah, Haken, he loves this movie. Hates horror movies and loves, loves this one. one. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you can never you can never predict what someone's going to connect with. So. But then he went to Berkeley College of Music, so he is a pretentious art head. Oh damn. Shots fired. <laughs> All right, you guys know where to find us. We're at Horror Babes Podcast. We are? I'm sorry, you've lost a contact. I should stop fucking with you. <laughs> okay it's monday i'm gonna be fine so you guys know where to find us we're at horror babes podcast on instagram we're at horror babes pod on twitter and we're at horrorbabespod.com. that's our website go check us out go rate us review us do all that good good stuff until next time bye, bye babes, babes.